This podcast is for parents like you, navigating the world of neurodiversity with love and compassion. I'm a neurodivergent mother of three amazing neurodivergent children and a board-certified music therapist. Our mission is to create a supportive space where you feel understood, connected, and inspired. With practical tips, strategies, and resources, we'll help you and your child thrive in your unique way. Join us as we dive deep into the diverse world of neurodivergent individuals, exploring topics like ADHD, autism, dyslexia, sensory processing challenges, and more. We'll cover it all to empower, educate, and uplift both neurodivergent individuals and those who walk alongside them. Together, we'll create a world where every brain is valued and celebrated. We're excited to embark on this enlightening journey with you. We are your hosts, Samantha Foote and Lauren Ross, and this is the Every Brain is Different podcast. Well, welcome to the Every Brain is Different podcast. We're here with John and Mark, and they are the father-son team that created John's Crazy Socks, a social enterprise with a mission to spread happiness. They bootstrapped their business into the world's largest sock store. John is not only a business owner, but he has Down syndrome. Every day, John and Mark show what people with differing abilities can do. More than half their colleagues have a differing ability and they show their gratitude through their giving back program that has raised nearly $625,000 for their charity partners. Most of all, they are spreading happiness one pair of socks at a time. And John and Mark, we are so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We are really glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more how you're involved in the neurodivergent community? You've been involved since birth, right? You have Down syndrome? Yeah, I didn't hear. So, you know, that that's all-encompassing for us. Uh, we have, my wife and I have uh, three sons. John is the youngest. Yeah. Um, John has helped make us better people. So that's one way. Another way, um, as an employer, uh, John's Crazy Socks, We've been able to create 34 jobs. 22 of those are held by people with different abilities. So um, that's one way that we do things. Um, But that's not enough for us. We want to show the world what people with different abilities can do. And and we do that in a number of ways. We want to share the experiences that we have at John's Crazy Socks. So we host tours. We've had more than 2,000 people come through our operation, and now we offer them virtually. We host work groups from high schools and social service agencies. So people can come get a taste of work, but also people with different abilities can see other people like them working. And it gives them both inspiration and hope. Yes, I can do that. Um, We... We're, we're somewhat like evangelists, I guess. We go out and do a lot of speaking engagements, right? Absolutely. So you know, we're grateful that you have us on your podcast. Uh, we've recorded two other podcasts this week. Um, Wednesday, Wednesday, I'm losing track of the days. It was Wednesday, right? When we were down in Jersey. Oh, yeah. Um, I think. But, uh, and and who did we meet with? Who did we speak with? Uh, we speak with at TD Bank. TD Bank. We spoke at a diversity event that TD Bank held. And yesterday morning, you were back at your alma mater. Where were you yesterday? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I forgot. 
Well, alma mater is where you went to school. Uh, yes. So where were you? Yes, yeah, yeah. I went to uh, I went to high school. I just my different school I went to. And we present to the business class there. Um, so you know, and and every time we get to do that, we've traveled across the country. It's uh, you know, it's I think when John stands in front of audiences, he changes people's minds about what people with different abilities can do. And then lastly, we do a fair amount of advocacy work. People, because of our business, are willing to listen to us. I mean, look, you know, you have us on your podcast. Yeah. And, and that creates an obligation on our part. If we get that opportunity, then we have to speak up. We have to speak for others who may not be able to do so. So we've been able to testify twice before the U.S. Congress. Yes, we did. And I have to add nowadays, we were not subpoenaed. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> we've spoken twice before the United Nations. We meet regularly with elected officials um, advocating for changes in policy, for changes in regulation and statute um, to promote the independence of people with different abilities and their ability both to work and retain their earnings. Um, and we, we speak a lot, meet with business leaders, um, always making the argument that hiring people with different abilities is not altruism, it's good business. That was my question for you guys, is how do you, what do you say to them uh, when they are hesitant to hire people with uh, differing abilities? Like what's, how well, do you convince them? I, a lot of what we try to do is show, don't tell. Um, you know, come and, and see what works. See what succeeds at our place. And then we share um, experiences or lessons from other businesses. Uh, we don't make the moral argument. I, I think that's self-evident. We, we make the business argument. And I used to say that we needed to create more jobs for people with different abilities. I, I don't think that's right. I think what we need to do is recognize that current job openings can be filled by people with different abilities. And so we share how we do it, but also our experience. So next week, assuming we make it another week, right? Yeah. We're going to celebrate our seventh anniversary. And over those seven years, you know, we, we've hired a, you know, a fair number of people. Um, one of the things we do, we run a warehouse. Well, it's, Anybody who sells online, you have to be able to fulfill orders. They run a pick and pack warehouse. Orders come in, you pick them, you pack them, you send them out. What do we call our pickers? A sacrifice. Um, so we've been hiring to, to fill those warehouse jobs for seven years. In general, we have pulled from three labor pools. People with different abilities. Moms, because we schedule people on four-hour shifts. It's not very physically demanding. So you can put your kid on the bus in the morning, come to work, pick your kid up in the afternoon. We get some dads in there. And then general laborers who want a job starting at $15 an hour, where you're going to get treated fairly well. You're right. We have Bagel Tuesday, Stamp yeah, Lunch yeah. Friday. Yes. Um, well, by far, the best labor pool for us are the people with different abilities. They want to be there. They're enthusiastic. They're focused. They don't miss work. And, and they're great colleagues. Um, and, and, and here's some of the proof. 
our error rate, a typical error rate at a fulfillment shop is going to run 3 to 5% of your orders. Our error rate is less than 0.2 of 1%. And we do same-day shipping. We do better shipping than Amazon. And that's because of the people we hire. We succeed because of those. And, you know, in our country today, and I don't know if it's this way in Boise, but in much of the country, and it's going to continue, we have a growing labor shortage. Yep. We don't have, you know, I hear all the time from employers, I can't find enough good workers. We don't have enough good workers. Well, at the same time, only one in five people with a disability is employed. We have this great untapped resource of people that are ready, willing, and able to work. There are 20 million people in this country with a disability who are ready to work. Guess what? Isn't that an easy solution? So you, you get to fill those openings. This is at a time where people have called it the big quit. Four million Americans each month have been quitting their jobs. Now, the numbers come down to only about 3.8 million Americans quit their jobs each month. Retention is a terrible challenge for many businesses. They can't, they can't find employees. When they do, they can't hold on to them. We have no trouble with retention. We hire people they don't want to leave. Well, that, that's not entirely true. We had one person. Anytime I fall. All your fault. <laughs> uh, we, uh, Christy, who worked with us for oh, six years on social media, she left. Um, and she said it was because of John. Um, <laughs> but she left to become a special education teacher. So we thought that was okay. That is amazing. I love it. But that's, uh, we want people to see the experience that we have had hiring people with different abilities. Uh, and people love to come and tour and see our place. You know, not, not just, you know, special education students and families, but other businesses. We had two other businesses in this week asking, how do you do that? We want to help them. And, and I, th I, I, th I think we have to overcome a fair amount of um, fear, fear born of ignorance. You yeah. know, I, I listen to someone I know has a, a warehouse and, they're struggling to hire people. And he said, how do you do it? And I told him, and I said, we'd be glad to help you. He said, oh, Mark, our situation is different. You know, we, we have a lot of heavy machinery. Well, what the heck? John crosses a parking lot every day. I know, I know I get hit in a week and It's been weeks since you've been hit by a car, right? Yeah. So uh, go ahead. <laughs> or, or businesses are afraid of accommodations you're going to have to make. Well, there's a study out there that found 58% of people with that, that are neurodiverse in, in some way need no accommodation. And what is an accommodation? I use this as an example. So, you know, we have a, a diverse group of people. Um, probably the largest single diagnosis, if you will, is autism. So we have learned working with our colleagues, we can't change things on the fly. People like order and they like structure. So if we want to change our processes. We have to be very thoughtful about it. We have to come out and communicate that in different ways. So we'll communicate it visually or, yeah. or do it in writing because you have to connect with people's different learning styles. So now I ask, is that an accommodation or is that just a better way to do business? 
honestly, that's just good business. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's I was that's thinking. That's how it should be done. It's a, uh, and you know, we hear sometimes, well, Mark, it, you know, it's different. You're a small business, and you can do it at a small business, but you know, we're a larger place. Okay, that's fair. Um, and I can tell you about lots of small businesses, Spectrum Design in New York, uh, uh, Rising Tide Car Wash in Florida, Ventures ATL in Atlanta, uh, Millwood in uh, Maryland. But let's take this small uh, software company out of Redmond, Washington. You, you, you've probably heard of them, called Microsoft. So they're in fierce competition to find programmers and people with technical skills. And they pick their heads up and say, you know, how come we don't hire more people on the autism spectrum? Because many people on the autism spectrum have great technical skills. Well, anybody who's been around knows. Because that person may not look you in the eye in the interview. They may not give you a firm handshake. Now, what the heck does a firm handshake have to do with writing computer code. So they're pretty smart people at Microsoft. They figure this out and they change their hiring process. So guess what? They hire lots of people on the autism spectrum and that gives them a competitive advantage. And, and you know, here's another thing, particularly for larger businesses to think of it. About one quarter of our population, of our neighbors, have some form of disability. And it may be hidden. You may not observe it just by looking, which means if you have a workforce of any size, you already are neurodiverse. They may not just have self-reveal. Yeah. And you need to make your place, you know, create an atmosphere where people are comfortable doing it. You know, we, Tuesday we spoke, uh, Wednesday, at an event with TD Bank, where they were celebrating some of their initiatives and, and, and recognizing some of their change champions. Well, here's one of the things they've achieved. They doubled the self-revealed population you know, amongst their employees from four to 8% this year, which means as an organization, they're making it more of a comfortable place where you can be yourself. And isn't that the type of place you'd like to work? Yeah, that's amazing. Because I know a lot of people, they don't want to reveal that because they're like, oh, you're going to think I'm different. You're going to treat me differently when I don't need that. I just think want I'm you less to capable. Go. Yeah, think I'm less capable. Exactly. So I know in my business, I have, um, well, I'm neurodivergent myself. And when I, talk to clients and I'm like, I get it. You know, I understand what this is like and I can um, connect with them better than if they're like, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea what it's like to be neurodivergent. So yeah, you want, we spend an awful lot of time at work. You want to be your best self there and not have to put on, you know, airs or, or, or act in a way that runs counter to who we really are. That applies to everything about us. It's, um, and, and I think that's part of what's happened with the big quit. It's, it's, um, it's not a monolithic happening. 
know, some of the population, the, the workforce is saying, look, I'm not going to work for your crap wage anymore. You have to pay me a decent wage. And in that sense, it's like a national strike. Yeah. Work for a lousy wage. Yeah. But an increasing part of it are people who are saying, you know, I'm working 40 hours a week. What am I doing? What's it all adding up to? What's the purpose? And some of that deals with lifestyle. You know, uh, I want to be able to work from home or split my time between home and the office. And some companies are saying, no, you have to be in the office all the time. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to have better but what people are also asking, what's it all add up to? Yeah. Um, what am I what am I doing in those businesses that have a larger purpose? Those businesses that know about the impact that they are pursuing, they're both more resilient, but they will attract those employees. They will attract those people that that are, you know, one of the things I'll say about you know what we try to do is, you know, offer people a mission worthy of their commitment. Yeah, that's great. This is all a very long-winded answer into your question of how are we involved with a diverse population, you know? And I so, love it. You know, there's another way. Yeah. Special Olympics, you know? Right. How long have you been doing Special Olympics? I, I do Special Olympics at 22 years. So John, John's been doing it since age five. And now... What, what are the sports you play? I, I play basketball, track and field, soccer, and snowshoe. And this year, who's your snowshoe coach? It's my dad. So, oh. And we practice on Sunday mornings on a beach. And my wife sent me a note before saying, uh, well, this Sunday is going to be raining. Do you have a backup plan? We have to stop because of rain. I asked you, right? Can you go out and run in the rain? Yes. Yeah, so we'll see. You're, you're not going to melt, are you? No. Nope. <laughs> so, you know, we that's part of dealing with, you know, the neurodiverse community. We're always trying to figure stuff out. Yeah, yeah. One of, one of the things I tell folks about our place is uh, we don't treat people like hothouse flowers. Treat them like people. And it turns out that's part of the dignity. Yeah, I love that. Just treating people like people no matter. Because like we say, the name of the show, every brain is different, whether you're neurotypical or neurodivergent. Just treat everyone with dignity and just treat them how you'd want to be treated, you know, because everyone is different. So I love that. Dignity yeah. and respect go a long way. Yeah, yeah. And and we need we need diversity at work. Mm-hmm. We need, because that makes us stronger. If we would be an awful place. We would never succeed if everybody thought the way I did. Yeah. You, you got to have differences and, and different viewpoints of how you view the world. Um, that diversity is relevant. I love it. Um, I'm just interested. What would you tell parents who they're when they're raising their kids to have a job? Like what? Advice would you give them, strategies, any of that? Well, first, I have to give some big caveats. Parenting is very humbling. Um, I think there's so much we want to do for our children. And in many ways, there's very little we can do. Um, There's enough data out there to suggest that our genetic makeup really drives a lot. Uh, And that 
not affected by how you're raised. Yeah. Where you live may have a bigger impact than, than how you're raised. Well, that said, what we have always tried to do with all three of our sons is to promote their independence, to keep pushing so they could be independent, to give them confidence to go out into the world, to be able to make mistakes. Um, so we don't try to shelter them. That's what we've done. Let, let them make errors. And it's really hard, right? It's hard yeah. for what it's failed. And sometimes it can be silly things. I remember when our kids, you know, they're all born three years apart. And it turns out my bride, your mom, she controls the universe. Uh, we had been married, you know, we thought young, right out of college, uh, but we didn't have kids for almost 10 years. Uh, we spent our 20s trying to figure out who we were and what was going on and which end was up. But then she came to me and said, aren't we big fella? It is time. We are going to have some children. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I, I, not me. And she said, we will have three children, and they will be born three years apart, all in the first part of the year. So our, our eldest, Patrick, is now 33. He was born in January. Next up, James, was he's now 30. He was born in March. And then there's John here. He's 27, born in February. So That's awesome. You really can't control these outcomes. And, and um, you know, there was a point the older boys were in, I don't know, Patrick may have been sixth grade, JB third grade, around there. And they wanted to do different things with their hair. Um, and I said, fine, whatever you want. Patrick at one point grew it really long down to like his shoulders. My wife just looked at us and we can't, he can't do that. It looks terrible. And, and and at one point, they both had logos shaped into their heads. Patrick <laughs> had a Yankee logo at that point and a New York Jet logo. And my wife, she said, she, you know, you got to have a good sense of humor. This is awful. I was like, come on. It's the sixth grade. Who cares? Yeah. Give them that autonomy. Give them that ability to decide their own life. You know, little things like, Go into a store. Let them go to the counter. Let them do things. Or, you know, if it didn't really happen with you, but if they got in trouble at school, okay, you're in trouble at school. I'm not coming to your rescue. You know, you're going to figure this out. Um, and I think that's particularly challenging. You know, today, you know, you get that helicopter parents. Parents are much more involved in their kids' lives than than it never used to be. You know, I'm an old man. I'm 65. You know, when I was a kid, there were kids in every, you know, it was the tail end of the baby boom. Every house had multiple kids. I came home from school. It was simple. Mom said, get out of the house. Go. You can't be inside. Get out. There weren't play dates. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a joke. Be home for dinner. I didn't have a watch. How the heck was I going to? But I was going to be home for dinner. You know, it, it's, it sounds silly. And I've seen memes about this. I didn't know where everybody was because the bicycles were thrown in the front yard. Um, we, we've lost a little bit of that sense. There was a time we had uh, an experience when um, 
prior to this business, my wife and I, you know, she had a business. I worked with her. And John would come to the office after school. We, the bus would drop him off. Our office was in our small town. And he had jobs to do. He took care of the mail and the shredding, and he would run errands. And uh, so one day I get a call from the head of special education in a school district saying, Mark, you're not going to believe it, but another parent just called and said they saw John walking in the village by himself. And they called up and said, someone better talk to those Cronins. They're not, you know, they, they better watch their son. Now, luckily, we were on the same page. And she explained, no, this is exactly what we're trying to do. Let people go out there and do things. You know, it's, what's the way you describe it with us? It says, nevertheless. I mean, I'll give you support when you need it. Yeah. You ask for help when you want it. Yeah, But who makes the decisions? Myself. Why? Because, because it, it's my life. This my decision. This is a change in my life. I want to be. That's fantastic. Love I love it. it. Love it. Yeah, I think just um, like you said, giving kids the autonomy to figure out what they like, figure out what they want to do, and just letting them make their own decisions is fantastic. Yeah, and you don't know where it's going to go. You don't. Mm -hmm. My my eldest, he's now a project manager at a tech company, and he does improv. When he was born, I was holding him in my arms saying, oh, I can't wait till you grow up and do improv. You know, it's, it's yeah. wonderful, wonderful yeah. to, to get to come along for the ride. That's awesome. Well, my son says that he's going to bring back Jurassic World. And so I'm interested to see how that's going to happen. But he said, don't worry, he's going to do it on a different planet so the dinosaurs won't eat us. So he's got a plan. And then his younger brother is going to work for him because he doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. So he's just going to work for my oldest son until then. So I, I'm like, you do you. <laughs> we'll see what happens. That seems like a good relationship. And uh, yeah. every once in a while, John tells me about something else he wants to do. And I'm like, yeah, how can I tell you no? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome. Okay, well, we have loved talking to you. We have one last question. Uh, what do you both do for fun? What do you do for fun? I have really fun. Yeah. I, 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 I've been with my family. Like, my my part that I'm traveling around. I love I love doing wood trips. I love traveling around on a car, be with my family, and I, I tell them career stories because as because it's a strength of mine and a great journey. Well, you like traveling, right? You like that. You like movies. But John does have a way of, uh, like before we had this, you know, for a long time, we had a routine on Saturday mornings. We'd go, we'd go to soccer breakfast. Yeah. Then we'd go to the office and get the recycling, go to the recycling center. And John could turn going to the recycling center into a fun adventure, right? It, 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 it was like a transfiguration. This is something wonderful. And then we'd run errands all day or run around. We'd go until she passed away. We'd go see Aunt Gloria, my sister, St. Timothy, um, mm -hmm. in a nursing home. We'd go, took care of her. We'd go see her and, uh, and you know, have fun. Me, what do I do for fun? I listen to music. I'm a concerts. I'm my um, I'm, I'm my dad really love. 
Uh, my dad really loved listening to music, and I miss and listening to music. He likes he likes many books. Uh, he likes many books, and yeah. he I uh, he really like make make and make our our family laugh. Well, nice. Yes, going on adventures and go fairs and stuff. Long late night conversations with any reasonably sober Irishman. Um, <laughs> when I was younger, I did lots of adventures and backed out your way yeah, yeah. once. Um, or one of the, the more aggressively stupid things I did, I, one day I picked my head up and decided I was going to ride my bicycle cross country. Oh, wow. So I flew to a friend's place in Portland, Oregon, got on my bicycle. It was this crappy bicycle. I didn't have much money. And I'm just starting to ride. And uh, I came near Boise, and a guy pulls over to the side of the road with a pickup truck. And he looks at me and says, put the bike in the back, get it. And what are you talking about? And he points ahead, and I don't, I never thought about this in Idaho. He pointed ahead, and he said, we got tornadoes coming. I'm going to take you to a shelter. Like, well, that's that's mighty nice of you. <laughs> but there's also a road. I, I don't remember the road now that led out of Boise up through the mountains and then curved around, eventually taking it over to eastern Idaho. Mm-hmm. Out of my bicycle, and there were all the road signs, you know, the curves and slow down. And, and they all got holes in them. Like, what the heck is that? And I stopped at some like general store and I asked the guy, I said, what, what's going on with all the holes in the sign? He looks at me and, oh, that's just the boys. They like to shoot at things when they can. And then he looks and he says, you're alone in that bicycle out there? Master now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you get in trouble for doing that. That's not cool. So. When you've been died, oh, you've been to Craters on the Moon? Ooh, that's a cool place. Yeah. Whoop, and the Arco? Yeah. First nuclear city. Yeah, yeah. That's a, I went there a couple of years ago. That was really cool. Well, um, on that bike trip, I remember, uh, again, you know, I was aggressively stupid. So I stay in Orco, and it's like 60 miles or so to uh, Idaho Falls. Mm-hmm. I'm looking in the middle of it. It says Atomic City. There's a place called Atomic City on the map. No problem. And it's like a desert out there, but I can stop and get water and supplies there. I get there. It's a fence. Yeah. It's it's like a base. No, no, it is not. Yeah. So now I find, make my way into Idaho Falls and I'm a young man and all I want is a beer. And, but there's no place open to sell me any beer. And I stopped some guy in the street who looked like he knew where to get a beer. And he just pointed at a tower. He said, it's the LDS, man. It's the LDS. <laughs> they mess everything up. That's funny. No, it's Love true. It. Idaho Falls does have a very large Latter-day Saint population. Um, yeah, well, that's awesome. I love it. I love that. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, uh, you can find us at johnscrazysocks.com. We're on all the social media platforms. Come follow John on TikTok. You, you love his dances. And it things. is death. Um we're both on LinkedIn. If there's somebody out there that, you know, thinks that we could help them, they could contact us through LinkedIn. Uh, we do speaking engagements. So if uh, you have an organization where you'd like some speakers who can make you laugh and you make people cry, and um, we'll be glad to 
to help out if we can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We truly appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you thank for you. your stories. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. We hope the discussion on neurodiversity has provided you with support, understanding, and inspiration. If you found our podcast valuable, please share it with others who may benefit from our insights and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the follow button and let's keep exploring the fascinating world of neurodiversity. Click the link in our show notes to visit our website for a free download of three tips for a stronger relationship with your child.